And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. It is Monday, December 12th. We are less than two weeks away from Christmas. Do you, where where does the time go here, folks? It's just it's just crazy. Good to have all of you here with us. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. I want to give a shout out to everybody who is listening to this program as a podcast. But we are broadcasting live to Odyssey, Facebook, and YouTube if you want to join us there. And, of course, you can uh, jump in the chat. You can leave a comment if you are here after we're alive. And uh, if uh, if you want to send us a, an email and let us know how we're doing or suggest uh, suggest topics or guests, the email address is livefromthebunker at sci-fi4me.com and uh, I do read every comment. I read all of the all of the email that comes in. So any of you that want to uh, share your thoughts, you are more than welcome. All right. So we've got a busy week this week, and um, we're going to start with kind of a kind of a controversy that I wasn't really quite aware of uh, up until a couple of weeks ago. I see Connor in the chat. I see Keely in the chat. Welcome. Good to see all of you here. So if uh, about a, I guess maybe about a week and a half, two weeks ago, I saw a mention of, uh, of a situation that had been developing, something called Batman Gate. And <clears throat> so I figured we'll talk about it. Uh, and I, I'm I'm not sure where this conversation is going to go, but Chris Wozniak joins us. He is uh, he is the one behind Batman Gate. And Chris, I did a little bit of research on this uh, over the weekend, but I kind of wanted to come into this uh, more raw than I usually do because I've seen some different uh, some different takes on this, uh, both pro and con. There are some people who think that that you've got a case and there are some people that think that you might be a little bit out there on, on a, on a very thin limb. So let's start with, let's tell people who you are. Cause, cause pe- some people may not know who you are. You're writer, artist, you did time with Marvel, you did time with uh, DC, you did some work on the Spectre. And back in the nineties, you were doing a lot of this work and the, the gist of it, as I understand it, is that you wrote a story back in 1990, and now you contend that Matt Reeves, the Batman, lifted a lot of the story beats off of that off of that script, and you're suing Warner Brothers for copyright infringement. Do I have that right? Yeah, um, pretty much. <laughs> a very <laughs> condensed version, uh, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the situation. Uh, yeah, kind of in a nutshell, there's, there's more to it than that. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, this is a story that I did pitch to DC comics, uh, in 1990. And then I pitched again as a film, uh, directly to the executive producer, Michael Usland. So I'm not, no one's, no one's claiming that they dug through a drain. They may have, I don't know, but you know, 
that they were digging through a drawer and uh, found the, my pitch from 1990. I did pitch it to DC, so obviously they had access to it there more than once. I, you know, I pitched it several times. And, uh, but you know, I met Michael Uslin in 2008 at the New York Comic Con. He was interested in another comic that I had done. You know, he asked for a free copy, gave me his card, said he's always looking for good stories. I looked him up, so I was the Batman director, and I sent him a story. And then within four months of me submitting my story, which, you know, came with the, uh, you know, a message, hey, you know, we didn't do this at DC Comics. We never got around to it, but it would make a fantastic Batman film. Within four months, uh, there are articles. This is, this is something I just found out recently, but there are articles all over the place that uh, Warner Brothers producers are claiming the next uh, um, Batman film. This would be Christopher Nolan's third Batman film. But they're claiming the next Batman film is going to be a Riddler serial killer story with um, uh, Catwoman and Penguin subplots. Now, that sounds pretty familiar. And as you might imagine, if they were pushing that in 2008, right after I, you know, pitched my story, um, and uh, it's, you know, the odds that Matt Reeves wrote another story that is exactly like it, you know, of his own volition is ridiculous. So that's where we are. So uh, uh, Bleeding Cool has got a fairly detailed list of the various different claims that you make as, as far as the similarities go uh, mm-hmm. from from the, the court documents. And I'm looking through this stuff. And like I said, I'm coming at this fairly raw. I'm, I'm not I don't have a dog in the fight one way or the other. But there are a lot of things that are in this story. When I saw Matt Reeves Batman movie. I was th- I I was struck by okay I see Batman Year One in here I see the Long Halloween in this I see a little bit of Hush in this and some of the things that are in this this movie are things that we've seen in other stories throughout the last you know eighty some odd years of Batman so what what is it that has you convinced that this is your story with a different skin on it. Okay, well, I, I went through this in a couple of videos that I made in great detail. And, and I think, honestly, uh, I'm just, you know, we, we know that Warner Brothers has these videos. Uh, I will probably just put them back up, you know, pretty soon. Uh, but there's direct proof that not only, you know, first of all, it's, it's my story soup to nuts. It's my complete story beat for beat. Um, I just had written it as an older Batman. And all they did was make it a younger Batman and contain everything inside of Gotham. But the story is there completely. You know, it's the whole story. And it's, you know, the same character motivations. And, uh, you know, it's literally beat for beat, the exact same story. So, you know, but there's that. But, you know, I go into even more detail where there are, uh, you know, a couple of things in my story that do appear in the film that are not even, uh, that were a couple of things, uh, plots from my, my story that, that were not in the film, but are still referenced. And one of them is the uh, um, in the beginning of the film. There's um, a scene where they firebomb a bank, where and, and the word "broke" is written right. across the uh, you know. So there's no there's no economic collapse in, in, in the Batman film whatsoever. You know the, the banks are not broke. Uh, you know there you know people are not rioting against the banks in any other way. We see people at stores and everything. Commerce is working just fine. You know economic collapse in Gotham is directly from my story. It's one of the two points that weren't ported over. So it makes absolutely no sense for that to be in the film, unless it's a remnant from my story. 
And the other one is the, you know, the one that, that boggled everybody that nobody understood is the green serum at the end. When he's fighting the Riddler, he pulls out some mysterious green serum, has nothing to do with the rest of the film whatsoever. And, you know, and it, it's just inexplicable. It's just there and doesn't connect to anything else. In my story, Batman had been poisoned throughout. And, you know, and, and in a final fight scene with the, um, with, with the Riddler, he's incapacitated from the poison and is in need of the antidote. So again, that's another, you know, a story point that literally wasn't used, but still made it into the film. But beyond that, even besides the whole story, soup to nuts being there in, in the film um, and those two little, you know, weird things that can't be explained by any other, other reason than, you know, comparing it to the plot that I submitted um, is also the fact that there are rewrites um, in the movie that are very, very specifically, uh, you know, from my plot. There's, there's no other story in the world that you can connect these things to. And one of them is that uh, um, Barbara Gordon is firebombed, you know, by a riddle. And, uh, and then Batman finds out via phone call that he's too late to save her. Now that's in the movie Soup to Nuts, but it's Alfred instead. Now, the reason uh, Barbara Gordon can't be in the film is that she's too young. I did an older version, and they're doing a young reboot, so obviously she can't be the district attorney or anything. So, right. so, you had, so to, to write her out, they um, gave the scene to Alfred. Now, the scene that I had written for Alfred is where uh, is the exact same scene that they had given to the mayor. So they took you know, Barbara Gordon's scene, and they gave it to Alfred, the only character they could give it to, and then the scene I had written for Alfred is verbatim given to the mayor. So these type of things where they're doing character, character compositing, uh, it's a common uh, screenwriting ploy to make things work. Um, if you have characters that need to be cut from a script, sure. you know, you give their scene, you give their scenes to uh, characters that are going to stay in the film. So, you know, that type of thing where you are giving you know, this exact scene to another character for the specific reason that she doesn't fit. And then you give, uh, you know, uh, Alfred's other scene to the mayor specifically because you don't need Alfred's scene anymore because you gave him Barbara's. You know, these type of things are one-to-one things that are impossible to explain any other way other than they worked off of my story. Now, there's no way, it's a coincidence that Reeves wrote this and then these rewrites, you know, lock in like that. Yeah. Now the the other the question. Now I did not I did not get a chance to see the videos that you've got. You've made them private, <clears throat> but other people have seen them. Uh, there are people that have reacted to this, and and I guess the question is, uh, how far you're willing to take this? Because you know, we're, we're in thing, it. This is well. The first yeah, thing I, that I, I thought of was the Art Buckwald lawsuit against Paramount Pictures about uh, coming to America. But he had a contract at that point, and if if I understand this right, this was a script that you had submitted essentially unsolicited. Is that right? Do I have that right? No. Yeah. Absolutely wrong. Uh, and I don't mean to be argumentative, but I mean in when I initially submitted this story to DC Comics. Oh, Every freelancer had free reign to submit stories. We all did. It's how we made comics at DC. Right. You know, but every writer submit. But that's on the Wait, comic on book side. All right. Well, you know, the Warner Brothers owns DC. There's no difference. There's no distinction. Um, so uh, because Warner's response to my lawsuit is they're having DC Comics sue me for submitting an unsolicited story. They're saying it's unauthorized. They're not. They're not disputing 
that they use my story at all. No one's ever said that. You know, Warner Brothers lawyers not saying it. Uh, uh, executive pr producer Mike Uslin is not denying it. Matt Reeves has never commented on it. So there's, there's no denial whatsoever that they're using my story. Their counterclaim and, uh, is that they're going to have DC Comics sue me. It's just supposed to drop any day. And uh, the reason for it is that I wrote an unauthorized story. We all had, that, that, that's the most ridiculous, uh, you know, a retort ever. Because anybody that worked for DC Comics was given free license to submit stories anytime we wanted to. Right. That's how they made most of their comics, you know. So it's ridiculous to say, you know, I, I had no permission to write the story in the first place. We, you know, I mean, that's that was business as usual at DC Comics. Well, and one could argue as well that that, that kind of thing, if you look at uh, the various productions of fan films and, and that sort of thing. I'm not and, a fan. I worked well, at DC. Right. I was, no, I was I'm a just DC saying, freelancer. Right. But I'm saying yeah. if, if Paramount and or I'm not Paramount, if Warner Brothers and DC are going to start coming down hard on people who actually did work at DC and not coming down on anybody in the fan film. That's, that feels like a very selective enforcement of their copyright uh, in it ways is, that probably are, are going to chill a lot of that activity. Well, it's very pointedly directed at me and no one else. DC has never, ever sued a freelancer simply for submitting a story. That's ridiculous. And the only reason they're suing me, obviously, is because the story was used and they want to take control of it. Now, you know, you think about the precedent they're trying to set here. You know, I, I submit a story to DC Comics. They decline to buy it. And then 32 years later, they are suing me to take control of this story. When does that ever happen? Ever in the history of the company? You know, it's just it's 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 some nonsensical, you know, uh, lawyer tactic to do a runaround and and simply not acknowledge or, or credit or pay me. Now I imagine you've probably still got copies of your scripts because all of us, all of us writers, we all keep everything that we've ever done, even if it's not finished or complete or anything. I've got yeah, we got cabinets full of file folders and stuff of just ideas and things. So how how do you how do you expect this to play out? Because if you have the well, documentation that says here's my script. And you've got this—you've got the movie that's out there, and you can do a, a side-by-side -side comparison. Do you expect this to go similar to Buckwell versus Paramount? What do you What do you uh, well, hope to get out of this? Well, I expect—you know—I I expect to be paid for my contribution to a, a, a film that pulled nearly eight hundred million dollars. I mean, it's—you know—the story that I submitted is the main plot line of the movie. You know, the Catwoman subplots and the Penguin Penguin subplots, or you know, those are all built off of the, the story that I submitted. You, know, you don't have a film at all without my story here. Right. You know, because it's, it's literally, you know, the, the, the Riddler storyline is, is the main storyline of the film. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a situation where um, they're not even denying when I wrote it or when I submitted it. You know, that's the, you know I have documentation of all of that. Um, but they're, you know, they, they seem to be, you know, they usually in this, in this kind of a, a situation the film company would say we never saw your script and you know we never uh, used it and it's all a coincidence right. they're they're bypassing that i mean that's that is shocking you know they're admitting that i you know wrote the story when i did and they're not even disputing that they used it they're just saying i had no permission to write it so it's unauthorized and essentially they're seeking to take the copyright control of it hmm. 
That's interesting. Now, I had a, I did have a situation uh, myself. I, I had a friend of mine and I had written a script for Star Trek VI before there was a Star Trek VI, and we'd sent it to Paramount. And like you're talking about, we got a we got a package back with our script and a very polite letter that says, "Thanks for your interest." No, this was an unsolicited script, so we're not able to look at it, but we do appreciate the effort and all that. I still have it. It, it's, it basically says, we can't look at it, we're not going to look at it, because it wouldn't be legal for us to look at it type of thing. Yeah, well, that didn't happen in my case. Mike Uslim, you know, ran with it as soon as he got it. I mean, he there was no response to my submitting the story to him. Um, and like I said, four months later, there are articles appearing that uh, Warner Brothers producers are adamant that the next film is going to be uh, a Riddler story. And so, you know, in, in that situation, you know, if um, uh, it, it just happens that Nolan, because he had just done the Joker, did not want to do another cerebral villain. He wanted someone for Batman to fight. So he just nixed the idea outright of using the Riddler. But when they say Warner Brothers producers are pushing a Riddler story on Christopher Nolan, you know, the, the Warner Brother producer that has the rights to make Batman films is Michael Uslan. Right. You know, so and they were pushing it. There are articles all about it. Uh, you know, the screenwriter, Nolan screenwriter, is David Goyer. Goyer? Did the David Goyer. If I have right. that right. Yep. All right. You know, he's talked about it in articles and stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, and it's been a while since that film. But this is the next solo Batman film. And lo and behold, this is the story that they use. So clearly... Matt Reeves did not come up with this story on his own, even though he's been all over the internet saying so, right? If we are pushing this uh, uh, Riddler serial killer story with uh, Catwoman and Penguin in 2008, and we're really pushing hard for it, then it doesn't get done. Here's the next solo Batman movie, and it's a Riddler killer serial story with Catwoman and Penguin subplots. We are obviously talking about the exact same story. You know. So why do you think they they went this route instead of putting you under contract and giving you a story credit? I mean, what I what abs- what motivation no would clue. you have to do that? I, I, I greed, ego. Uh, I don't know what to say because it's a ridiculous thing to do. Um, you know, I, I just I, I have no explanation. You, you know, let's ask Michael Uslan. Well, the the other question then is, did you you know now now that you're at the point where you're at lawsuit stage? Was there a time, did you try to uh, get any kind of arbitration mediation from the Writers Guild? Yeah, all I was asking for, first of all, you know, let's discuss, uh, you know, how this all played out. I had to go very, very public with my videos and, you know, basically make us think to be able to attract, um, you know, uh, legal representation because nobody in comic books has the money to sue Warner Brothers, you know, it's the second biggest film studio in the world. So, you know, you need a team that's going to come on board and accept your case and everything and, and you know, and work with you uh, to take on, you know, someone of, of, of that stature. But, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, I called them out daily on Twitter. You know, Matt Reeves was tagging and Uslin and uh, you know, I was mentioning them and tagging them directly for months and months and months with no response. And all I was asking for from the beginning was a, a you know fair credit and compensation. You know, I did not, you know, I wasn't looking for you know forty million dollars or you know, I, I just wanted basically you know credit and compensation. And when we actually got around to suing, 
All I asked Warner Brothers for was to, for me to be paid whatever the other writers were paid. That's all I asked for. And basically their response is, no, we're going to sue you and take that story. So, so why, that's where we are. So did you go through, did you go to the Writers Guild at all? Uh, I, I think I tried to, and I sent them uh, stuff, uh, you know, I, I tried to make them aware of it. I tagged them and I don't recall if I actually like physically got a copy of it, filed some kind of specific uh, thing, you know, cause I mean, it was, yeah, I was on my own dealing with this making right. the video and I didn't know how to make videos and you know, it was, it was, you know, a busy time. You know? I would, so, I would wonder, I would wonder about whether or not you could get some kind of satisfaction that way rather than go through the very expensive process of a lawsuit because the writer's guild is pretty good about negotiating terms as far as, you know, proper credit and compensation and that kind of thing. Cause this, this kind of thing has come up a number of times before determining who wrote what and how much how much responsibility each person has so that might be a possibility that would save you some money at the at the i, I would i would absolutely be willing to look into that this is my first uh problem like this ever in life and you know and i'm generally really good about protecting myself and my ideas and stuff like that but you know because it was dc comics and you know i knew everybody that had worked at dc Comics. michael useland worked at dc comics i i I just felt safe in, in sending him a story. I didn't think anything like this would happen. Sure. You know. So at at the end of all of this, let's say let's say you let's say you you don't win. Just right. on the outset. What are your yeah. options after that? What how how far do you want to push this thing past the the first round of legal fight? Well, I mean, they are their response you know, Warner Brothers is, you know, they're responsible to have DC sue you. We're going to seek, you know, uh, you know, legal fees and everything. So this is very much them coming with knives out. So, you know, if on, on the chance that I, you know, and I have a very strong case, um, but, you know, we are talking about, again, you know, a studio with unlimited resources, you know, you could always lose. And that's, you know, the, the route they took was to try and bully me to drop the case. You know, they sent two letters, you know, saying, if you don't drop it by a certain date, you know, we will do this. We will. But, you know, there's right and there's wrong. You know, they use my story. They need to acknowledge that they need to pay. And, you know, so if I lose, they, you know, DC Comics is going to come after me for legal fees. My lawyer thinks that it could be anywhere from a quarter million to half a million dollars. Mm. And again, this is, we're in an extraordinary situation here where DC Comics, you know, declined to buy a story and now they're suing me for writing it 30 years ago. I mean, this is, you know, and why would they? You know, obviously, if they didn't use it, there would be no need. They've mm -hmm. never sued anybody for uh, uh, an unused, uh, you know, submission before. It's, it's crazy. It just seems a little unusual that they wouldn't just offer to, to, Pay, you know, send you a contract and pay you and say, be done with it instead of yeah. having to deal with all this noise. Well, that's what I thought would have happened early on when I made my videos. I was, you know, I was often, you know, putting it out there that I thought it could be some kind of oversight because of the time from when I gave Uslan the story to the time that they made the movie. You know, I, I, I just, I think the best of people, I wouldn't think anybody would do this, you know, but, you know, I essentially thought, you know, this is a mistake. They forgot, you know, this, you know, he's had the story kicking around so long that, you know, it's, it's possible. They just forgot where, it, you know, they reworked it a little bit or something and forgot where it came from, something like that. And I was giving them all the opportunity in the world to go, hold on, <coughs> you know, he's right. 
let's straighten up with him. Let's just pay him. And, you know, I, I was totally open to that, you know, but, you know, once I found out that he had taken my story immediately and ran off with it back in 2008 and you just couldn't get it done. You know, I was stunned by that. I mean, who, you know, what are the ethics of a person that does that? You know, now, did you reach out to Michael Uslan directly at any point during all as of this? As soon as, as soon as I saw the film, I tried to contact him through Facebook, but I had been unfriended. So I, I, I just took that as what it looks like. And so that was that, but, you know, but I tagged, you know, I, I mentioned him on, uh, you know, at Facebook and Twitter relentlessly in the videos, Matt Reeves as well. You know, I was looking, for, <coughs> I was looking for them to step up and, you know, just make it right. And then they would have went away. You know, I was open to that. Yeah. You know? All right. Well, we are going to take a very quick break. When we get back, we're going to look at talk about, a little bit about some of the other reactions to all of this online. And uh, we'll get into some some reasons why people think that Wozniak is doing this. It's, he's got nefarious plans and schemes ahead. So we're going to talk talk about that on the other side. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, we're talking about that on the other side of the break. Stand by. We are vengeance. We are the night. We are sci-fi for me <laughs> it's like okay hold on you've got somebody and all he does is put on some glasses and slicks back his hair and nobody knows who he is nobody recognizes him it's it's it's, it's like that that uh, that scene in, in the green lantern movie where she looks at him and it's like how you know, like, you just put on a mask and you expect me not to recognize you? The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Good morning, Multiverse. Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. It helps to turn the volume up of the music when you start playing it. Welcome back, everybody. We are live from the bunker talking with Chris Wozniak. Let me do six things at once here. Talking with Chris Wozniak about his lawsuit against Warner Brothers DC about uh, the Batman and their alleged use of his script. Chris, I, I, I said at the beginning of the show uh, that I wanted to come into this fairly raw, and I did some research. I did some looking into some stuff. I looked at some different, uh, just a few videos online, and there are some people who are in your camp. There are people who are sitting there thinking, yes, you've got a case. You've got an argument. You, you, you have reason to pursue this, <clears throat> and there are other people who think that you're just full of hot air. That you're doing this as a publicity stunt, it's it, it's wow. a grift, it's it's a way to get people to pay attention to you, so that you can push your Indiegogo campaign with Penelope Powerhouse. What do, what do you say to people who are who are in that uh, mindset? Well, I mean, I, it's it's almost not worth addressing, but I will. Um, you know, I'm 56 years old. You know, I don't have. Uh, uh, you know, I have not much of an internet presence at all before this. I, I just had a Facebook account and all I used it for was to run a comic book group with other professionals. And we talked about Bronze Age comics. You know, I, 
didn't have a you know a Twitter account. I didn't uh, you know Instagram or any of these things. I had you know I didn't have a YouTube channel or anything. Um, <clears throat> so you know I had to learn how to do those things and deal with those things for the express purpose of dealing with this Batman situation. So you know guys my age, you know I'm from Manhattan. You know I uh, I, I moved to the mountains to be left alone. <laughs> you know I live I yeah you know, I live other, I live in the sticks. I I'm not looking for attention from anyone. You know, I don't, yeah, honestly, I, 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 it's my least favorite thing in the world is dealing with social media, but you know, it's a necessity, um, you know, in in my situation, like I said, I had to attract legal representation, but you know, this notion that it's a grift is where's the grift. I'm opening myself up to, to, you know, to lose half a million dollars to DC comics. That's the grift, you know, who would do that? You know, obviously if, unless I had a case, I wouldn't have pursued this. And, and like I said, they know I have a case because they, their, their response is not, you know, um, that, that they didn't use my story. It's just that they're saying I had no right to write it in the first place. And that is ridiculous. We all did every freelancer, you know, was given, you know, free reign to submit stories anytime they wanted. And everybody that worked at DC knows that, you know, but this idea that, I don't know, I made it up for the, for giggles or, you know, you know, I, yeah, even Warner Brothers is admitting that I wrote my story when I wrote my story and that I submitted it when I submitted it. That's, you know, they're, they're not even arguing that. So, yeah. you know, I, so I, I don't know what to say to that. It's just, you know, who would do such a thing? You know, I'm a single dad. I got a 10 year old daughter. Would I invite risk like this for giggles? I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's unlikely. Yeah. The, I think probably, you know, in, in 2000, in 2022, uh, you could probably sit there and make the argument that anything, anything is possible from anybody these days. I mean, I'm, I'm at the point now where my 2023 bingo card is going to be fill in the blank because you, you don't know what's going to happen. And the weirdest stuff that happens is like, well, yeah, of course it's on my bingo card. You know, so so there's, I think this this assumption that everything, everybody's got an angle, right? You know, we we've gotten so uh, so cynical in in how we look at other people and and you know governments and corporations and and our fandoms and everything. Everything becomes a fight. And I wonder if some of that might be part of this, where you know you've got the you've got the Snyderverse crowd and you've got the anti Snyderverse yeah. crowd, and not not that that's factoring into this particular fight. It it, but, it has though, honestly, online at least, like in, in yeah. the Twitterverse and everything. Like I was like you know I've explained this to people as well as I was completely unaware that any of that uh, fan warring with these different factions was going on. I mean, you know, a new superhero movie comes out. I just watch it out of habit, you know, because they're superhero movies. Um, yeah, I, I did not know that, you know, there was there were camps that were feuding. Um, and, you know, I, I and, and so a lot of people think that, you know, I was, you know, anti Matt Reeves or something and I was trying to bring down his film and there was there was all kinds of conspiracy theories. You know, but I mean, I, I said from day one that I actually liked the movie. I don't think it was, you know, I, I, I did like it, you know, not on the first viewing, because obviously I was very upset. Sure. Uh, but, you know, um, but I, I think it's a decent movie. I, you know, I think it's a strong film. I, I see where he's trying to go with it. You know, I, you know, my only argument is he knows he didn't write that story from scratch, you know, wow. and he's been saying so. And, and, and you know, 
So let's let's turn our attention then, because people have mentioned it, and and you've talked about it some on on different things. You do have an Indiegogo campaign, yeah, uh, the Adventures of P- an, Penelope Powerhouse. An, it's a new graphic novel. So what? Give me the Reader's Digest breakdown on this. Where did this Where did this idea come from? We'll we'll we'll, we'll be a little bit positive right now for for. for okay. <laughs> well, like I said, this this is a nice project because it's you know uh, I, I made sure I filed all my copyrights and everything before I put it out in public. Um, so it's uh, Penelope Powerhouse is uh, basically a story. Uh, Penelope Powerhouse is actually the villain in this, although uh, she's well loved by everyone and everything. Uh, but she is the uh, um, uh, the bad guy. The hero is actually Morgan Despair, which is the uh, Nebraska teen girl that has, you know, she's just a normal girl. And Penelope um, uh, Powerhouse is basically dedicated to ruining her life. The story behind it is that Morgan Despair went on vacation with her parents to Egypt. You know, she's a little goth girl, so she gets sunburned and vows that she'll never go out in the sun again. But she says in front of Ra, the sun god, who turns around and curses her, you know, to suffer from a sunny disposition for the rest of her life. And it's completely, you know, disproportionate to, you know, what the punishment should be. They, they ruin her life, wreck her life in every, in every manner imaginable. And Morgan Despair has to figure out how to get herself out of this situation, you know, dealing with omnipotent uh, beings when she's just a high school girl. Now you've you've likened the humor in this. This is not for kids. You've likened the mm-hmm. humor in this, like for no. our Archer, uh, Rick and Morty. I think you've mentioned that. Yeah, uh, fine of... for teenagers, you know. Yeah. Uh, but but more mature humor for sure. Uh, it's, it's not for little kids. You know. So where did this but... idea come from? Wow, I had a, uh, a comic book company um, for, I, I ran a comic book company for eight years. I, I ran the, uh, the creative side of it and I had a financier, a uh, money guy basically, uh, that was, you know, uh, uh, obviously, you know, financing all the books and everything. But I created almost everything in the series that we were making. And we never released it because he w- would never let us put things out. He kept saying, we need a bigger and bigger. Uh, release. I don't know what he's waiting on, but uh, we, you know, we we never actually like let go of any of our series. There's a lot of stuff sitting in the drawer, mm. all done by well-known Marvel and DC talent uh, that is never going to see the light of day, apparently. Um, but uh, at one point, uh, Chuck Dixon and I developed a children's line. We came up with like eight titles, and then we were going to launch a children's line, and we, uh, you know, came up with the characters, and logos, and designs, and uh, scripts for all eight shows or series um, uh, in, in the span of just a couple of weeks. And um, Penelope Powerhouse is one of those that was left over, is, is one of the ones that I created. And I, I, we just, you know, she got tied up. And now that the company's, uh, you know, um, dissolved, I, I, I maintain control of it. So I was just, you know, going through the 20 IPs that I had and saying, oh, you know, I'll do a comic, let me, you know, you know, pick something and I just landed on her because it was an easy concept to get and I always thought it was really cool and cute and everything but yeah I didn't want to do a children's book you know now right you could I like you know adult humor you know I like shows that I mentioned like you know Archer or Rick and Morty that type of thing uh, so I decided to do it like that so that's when the idea of making Penelope uh, powerhouse the villain you know even though everyone loves her you know nobody knows what she's really like and, and that's where that came from. And I made her like the worst villain. She's 
you know, no morals, no scruples. She's omnipotent and she's petty and she's all those things. And to find, uh, you know, the, the hero to go up against her, I, I just made an ordinary high school girl in Morgan Despair because, you know, that, that, you know, those two uh, dualities there are, are so opposed. It would make for a really good hero if she could overcome that, you know. And now are you doing the artwork on this as well or you got somebody else on the on the creative team? I'm doing every all the creative stuff I'm handling myself except for coloring. I do color as well. Uh, but, you know, it's something I'm, I don't do often, so I'm slow at it. You know, so the ad pieces and stuff, uh, I colored myself as I, I did those early on. But I, I, I do have a colorist I brought in that's fantastic. Um, and she's doing a great job. And we're doing it very much like an animated look, you know, very open. And, uh, you know, there's no blacks in the book and there's no uh, and there's no shadows or anything. Everything's very saturated and open, and, you know, like that. Colorful. And when do you expect to launch this? <clears throat> well, I was going to go. Uh, just before the holidays and just thought, oh, maybe crowdfunding through the holidays is not the best idea. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're, you know, I'll go end of February. We'll, we'll let it go. And, you know, and this is uh, part one of two. One of the things that a lot of these, uh, a lot of these Indie, Indiegogo campaigns, well, any crowdfunding campaign runs into is on the fulfillment side of things is, you know, that you always yeah, get that that's... delay or, or how, how close to complete is the book? Well, here's here's the thing. I'm still debating that because I'm getting conflicting, uh, you know, uh, points of view on this from people that I respect and have done it. You know, like uh, Bill Tucci, who self publishes and everything. He, you know, he's he's of a mind that I should break it up. Uh, then I got Art Tiber, who's you know obviously done this successfully himself, and he's like, no, no, just put the whole thing out. So you know, I'm still I'm on the fence as to whether or not I'll break it up. I I, I thought I'd come to a decision, but since I have a little time, I I, I may do it all as one. Uh, but fulfillment is not going to be an issue. Like even if I get no money out of the crowdfunding, I'm I'm going to do this book anyway. So that's like uh you know I mean, anybody gets on board doesn't have to worry about getting a product. It's just that I was. You know, my concern was that, you know, being the fan, do I want to wait for me to draw a full 72 page graphic novel or would you rather get it cheaper in two parts? You know, I wasn't charging the same amount for half a book. You know, I, you know, obviously if I was going to break it up in two parts, I would charge less for it. Um, but I, I, it depends on what, you know, the consensus is if, you know, should I, you know, should I wait and do the, you know, release it all as a complete, you know, giant graphic novel or you know is it do you want to get it faster i don't know i'm, I'm, I'm so i'm still a little up in the air with that one and i'll yeah. i'll make that call soon i guess but. I, I think your other thing that would factor into that would be the cost of shipping because uh a, yeah. a square bound heavier 72 page book is going to cost quite a bit more to ship than a mm -hmm. 32 page floppy for example uh, yeah so that that may be also a thing because internationally the shipping costs are just through the roof. So yeah, there's that's... a lot of there's a lot of talk about that now with the guys that are uh, doing the crowdfunding thing about finding uh, alternative ways of shipping. Where you know they're talking about you know shipping a whole pallet of books over to wherever it is you know to England or you know whatever, and then from there have someone distribute the right. individual like you package them. You know, like say it's going to go to some guy in Nottingham, and then you know you ship the whole prepackaged thing, uh, you know, to like the UK 
and then from there they'll locally ship them for you. So just talk, you know, you know, again, there's a lot of uh, growing pains involved, but yeah. you know, the most most important thing is to obviously put out a good product and and deliver it. You know, so yeah, it's just it. I look at uh, look at all of these campaigns and how everybody is doing things, and there's no one single consensus process yet you know it's like yeah we're still we're still shaking things out to try to figure out all these things so yeah because it's there, there's a lot of individuals involved and you know um it, it would be a whole nother matter had there been you know uh someone someone who had you know had all of this worked out you know to a t but there hasn't been enough time yet we're still you know sorting out you know, what, what's the best way to ship? What's the best way to distribute some, you know, even the best way to crowdfund, yeah. you know, so. Well, and know. some, some have even gone to the point where they're starting to crowdfund on their own websites. Uh, Michael Bancroft yeah, is about I've... to launch his, Eric July has done it. Mandy Summers has done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Basically because Indiegogo appears to be shadow banning a lot of, a lot of indie, indie creators like, like Kickstarter did. So that's, yeah. that's disappointing to a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of talk about that. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping that I won't get caught up in it. But you know, that's that's again, it's not for me, you know, to make that call. But you know, it's it's one of those things where someone like Mandy or Eric and everything, you know, they got a little bit of following before they jumped in. Yeah. So they had a, a you know a little more of a safety net to be able to you know uh, you know be able to push through uh, some of these uh, issues. But you know, if you're starting from scratch, you know, it, it, it's you know it's difficult. You have to be stubborn <laughs> and you know you have to uh you know be determined and dedicated you know to go this route but yeah i think it's really worth it i think you know because you know at the end of the day i think we all know that marvel and dc are a little bit stagnant um because people won't create for them uh so much you know why invent a character if if dc comics is going to own it or marvel's going to own it you know there's a lot of people that just don't see the point in it when you can put it out yourself and keep the rights keep the money yeah so a lot of creators will not you know even ones that work for marvel and dc are still freelancing there you know they're not you know very interested in in coming up with new content if they don't share in the profits so you know that's why you see you know 12 Wolverines and 19 Spider-Mans and 37 Batmans. And, you know, I think those things water down the franchise, you know, they're trying to expand on their franchise. And, and, right. But I think honestly, what they're doing is they're making them less special by having so many different people wear that particular costume. And I think there's nothing to latch onto uh, rather than, you know, I mean, certainly you can build out, you know, the world of that character with supporting characters, but when you actually make multiple people, you know, that version of the hero or, you know, uh, you know, his cousin, his daughter is, you know, I I found the girl in the supermarket. Now she's a Wolverine. You know, it just gets to be too much. You know, I think to, to, to follow with any serious, um, enthusiasm, you know, you could like it and everything, but you know, when you get fan enthusiasm over a character, you know, like, you know, they're never going to inspire, um uh wolverine following like like burn did and claremont did when they first made him special yeah you know so that kind of uh you know intense you know uh great character basically you know let me ask you this do you do you think 
because you've been in the business, you've seen how, you know, new characters will take off and, you know, the popularity of some over others. Do you think that there is a, a time coming when an independent character will take off the way Batman did or the way Wonder Woman has or Superman or Wolverine? Yeah. I mean, do you see that that day coming? Yeah, I do. Somebody's going to come up with something that's just going to touch and, uh, you know, that nerve with the fan base. You know, I mean, Stan Lee, you know, basically was doing that, you know, uh, weekly, you know, in those early days with Jack when they were just creating uh, things that were just hit after hit after hit. And realistically, they were independent. You know, you had DC was the big player and Marvel was an upstart. They were nobody. We, you can't, it's hard to look at it like that now, but Fantastic Four was, you know, came out of the blue and just hit. And then, you know, Spider-Man and Hulk and Iron Man, and, you know, th those were, you know, piled on within months and uh, uh, just a few years of, of one another. And, you know, they became such big icons. We forget that, you know, when they were first dropping those characters, they were they were nobody. You know, they were just, you know, they were, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Marvel in, in the early days were using DC to distribute their books. They had like an eight book deal. They said, you know, can you carry some books for us to, to put them out? I think I think DC was literally distributing the first eight Marvel titles. Hmm, I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, I got to go back and double check that. But it, that's my recollection. Yeah. Where do you see the superhero movie bubble bursting? How long do we have? I, I've talked to I think, people I, that that had predicted four or five years ago it would have burst, and nobody nobody well, expected I, it to go I, this long. Yeah, I think we're definitely seeing it right now. And I think the reason we're seeing it is, again, you know, along it, it's aligned with what I was just talking about with the characters being watered down and uh, not being true to the original tradition. Like, personally, I like to see the original traditional versions of the characters. And, you know, I don't care for, you know, the spin-off characters. And, you know, you, you want to see that first original character. Now, I'm not saying there cannot be, you know, a... Uh, uh, ancillary characters that that can rise up and be just as popular. I mean, I think you know, with Simonson when he introduced Better Ray Bill in the comics, I think that was an instant splash, an instant hit, and something that was so exec executed so well that everybody just loved it. And uh, you know, but when you do that type of thing regularly, when you you know, oh, we're gonna have this girl be Thor, and then that guy Captain America can pick up his, you know, it makes him not special yeah. you know if uh you know a bunch of different people can pick up that hammer you know then why is he you know why, why then why we were following this guy if anybody could do it you know it's, it, it makes them not special i think it waters them down and i think it dilutes the franchise to the point where people just don't care and i think that's where we are now uh, and it's a shame because i think you know uh, with the dc characters i think we never got to see that great dc universe on screen yeah, so we saw glimpses of it, you know, in Zach's movies and, uh, you know, um, but we didn't, you know, we never got to see that real, you know, uh, universe that, you know, the characters we all love, you know, enjoying their separate films and then coming together for their big events and everything. Yeah, I think they rushed to get the Justice League movie out. Yeah, I um, agree. That's my, my, yeah, that's my opinion. I think they were trying to play catch up with Marvel. Um, but, you know, I think Warner just wasn't committed to the superhero movie you know, uh, clearly because, you know, their response uh, when they first, you know, their first response to the Marvel success 
was to do the Wonder Woman TV show. Did you see the pilot for that? That TV I, I show? Yeah, the yeah. It's it's unwatchable schlock, you know. And yeah, to think bad. that you know uh, Warner Brothers, who owns the, these major characters, you know, in response to seeing how successful superheroes can be, respond with that TV show. I mean, it just shows that they have no vision. So you know, they need to bring in a guy that understands comics that can be the point man to put this all together. You know, because clearly the bean counters over there, you know, uh, don't get it. Now, know? do you think that James Gunn and Peter Safran are those guys to do it? I I, I would like to hope so. They, they would not, you know, I, I, it wouldn't be my first pick, um, uh, but I haven't put too much thought into it. But I think it is the right idea to have a point man mm. uh, be the guy, in, you know, to that understands comics to creatively do it. I, I would like for James Gunn to to kick ass and put the, pull the, pull it off and, and and make everything the way we'd like to see you know those DC movies yeah. um, you know so I'm I'm hoping for the you know superhero movies you know <laughs> we hope for the best and then we get what we get right. you know so I think uh, but I think Marvel is past their uh, their their you know the Best Buy date. And uh, they need to do a turnaround and go back to the roots of, of how they were, you know, first uh, putting these out to, 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 to recover, you know, that lost momentum. But yeah. DC doing it from scratch now, you know, maybe that is the right idea. Let's just clean the slate, you know, I mean, because they do have, the, you know, they have Gal and uh, um, Henry and, uh, you know, uh, Ben to do the Trinity, you know, but they are they're starting to age out to start over, you know, just, you know, they're, you know, if you're starting this, you want to get four films out of each of them, you know, that would be, I guess, the ideal thing, you know, and, uh, you know, starting now with the time that they put into these things and, and, you know, how long they get delayed and everything and with the crossovers and all that, you know, or can we, can we really get that much material out of those guys? You know, it's debatable. I mean, I think we're on the cusp. You know, you could call it either way and, and say, okay, let's try a soft reboot and, and move forward because that would be great too. You know, they, we'd love to see it done right where, you know, they're all interconnected and they all have their killer, you know, solo films and then they come together for a big event. Who doesn't want to see it? No. But, you know, but it, maybe it is time to, to clear the slate and just give it a fresh start. But if they're going to give it a fresh start, they, they should do a really hard reboot, you know. Right. So, so with with Gunn and Saffron in place now, Michael DeLuca and Pam Abney there, you know David Zaslav in charge. <clears throat> what what impact do you think that would have on your legal battle with Warner Brothers? Because you know the decision makers have changed over the years, mm-hmm. different people greenlighting the the projects and all that kind of thing. Do you think right. that would have any kind of an impact? Well, I would like to think that Zaslav, you know, from how he's acted and, and come in and taken over and his cleaning house and everything, I'm, I'm in agreement with most of what he's doing there. And I would think that, you know, my situation is is peanuts to their overall big picture and that they would just want to, you know, do the right thing, take care of it, and then we could all move on. And, and you know, I, literally, if I get a call from Zaslav tomorrow and he's like, hey, this is this is screwed up, uh, you know. We're going to make this right. We're going to pay you, you know, something fair, and and I, yeah, I'll I'll be the first guy to go see the next movie. You know, I you know I just but uh, but the way but the response that they had um, was frankly shocking, 
you know, and, uh, you know, if that's how they're going to do it, then it, that, you know, it's their reputation. It's not mine. I just wrote a, a good story. I clearly, they all think it's a good story. They used it, you know, so, I mean, I didn't do anything wrong. I, I you know, did what every other freelancer did. I was like, hey, I got a great idea. Let's do this. And, you know, they opted not to buy it, but now they want to own it. Everybody knows that's not right. You know, so, you know, as far as Zazlev is concerned, I would, you know, I would like to think that, you know, um, he would just do the right thing and then we could all move on and that would be that, you know, but at the same time, you know, Warner Brothers is having DC Comics soon. They brought them into the case. It's, it's official, you know. Well, hopefully you get some satisfactory resolution on this soon and it doesn't... And we could all see good movies, right? That's right. All right. (laughs) Okay, so uh, we will, in the meantime, wait for Penelope Powerhouse to to kick off over on uh, Indiegogo. And uh, Chris Wozniak, when when we get details and updates, maybe we'll uh, we'll talk further on stuff and... Hopefully I have some good things to report, I guess. (laughs) I hope so. All right. Thanks for joining us, sir. And thanks all of you for uh, being here tonight. Mr. Harvey and I are going to be talking about callbacks and Easter eggs because some some Mm. fandom media don't quite understand what those are. So we're going to talk about that. And then uh, busy broadcast week uh, this week. Jen Finelli will be our guest on Wednesday. We'll have open line Friday again this week. Monday, don't have a guest yet, so maybe we'll be catching up on some rants then. And then we're taking the the Christmas break. December 28th is number 499, and December 30th, number 500. So join us for those. In the meantime, you can connect with us on all the different social media platforms and video platforms and everything. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's that's it for today. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Remember... The media are not your friends, and there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio.